Thank you, Rebecca. It's a great song. Made a way to the manger, so make a way to the cross. It's a wonderful message. Open your Bibles again to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. I'm going to ask you to stand with me again, and we're going to read most of that passage. Begin with me in verse 1, follow along as I read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him. Let's pray together. Father, it's not that we need a new revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not that we need a new revelation of you, Father, for Jesus did that completely. But Lord, I pray that this morning you would truly open our eyes to what you've already revealed. God, help us to understand it and see it, and that by your power that our lives would be transformed by it. Speak to our hearts, Lord. There are people here today that, all of us, Lord, that we just, we need to hear you speak to us. So Lord, help us to quiet our spirits and put our worries and our fears aside. And that you would capture our attention this morning. In Jesus' name, for his sake, amen. The first week of this series and the big reveal, Jesus came, we saw how Jesus came to reveal life. Last week we talked how he came to re reveal light, that is the way to God, the what Rebecca just sang about, he came to reveal the gospel of how, we can, how sinners can come to a holy God through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. This morning, I want us to talk about what he says here in verse 14 and verse 16 and verse 17, that Jesus Christ came to reveal grace and truth. Jesus is the big reveal of God's grace and God's truth. Now, when we hear those two words, first of all, grace, we... Some, we, have, we have a disconnect. And uh, God wants us to understand that Jesus is not just one or the other, but he's the fullness of God's grace and God's truth. One writer put it this way, John the Baptist's message from the wilderness was not, Smile, God loves you. It was, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? 
Jeremiah was not put into a miry pit for preaching, I'm okay, you're okay. It was for crying out against the adultery and the idolatry and other wickedness of this nation. Noah's message from the steps of the ark was not, something good is going to happen to you. He condemned the world and was a preacher of righteousness. Jesus Christ was not crucified for saying, consider the lilies, how they grow, but for saying, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, children of hell, fools and blind guides, whited sepulchers, generation of vipers. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the, his book, The Cost of Discipleship, said cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy, for which the merchant will sell all of his goods. It's the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out of his eye that which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ, with the disciple, where, at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly, because it calls us to follow and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. So you see, friends, it's not just one or the other. We have to realize that Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. God is a God of grace and truth. You cannot separate God from his attributes. For when we read in 1 John 4, 8, God is love, you cannot separate love from God or God from love. In fact, the word for truth here in our text in John is the word aletheia. The word for God is theos. Can you hear the similarity? Aletheia. Theos is God. God is a God of truth. You cannot separate truth from God. You cannot separate God from truth. All truth, all truth is God's truth. And if it's not God's truth, what's it called? A lie. Let God be true, the Bible says, and every man a liar. You cannot segregate God's attributes from one another. You cannot say that God is all grace sometimes and all truth at other times. When we think about God's grace, we think of His mercy, His love, His kindness, His goodness. We sing songs like Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me. Then we think of God's truth, that is His righteousness, His holiness, the law, his hatred and intolerance for sin. And we say sometimes God deals with us in truth, and sometimes God deals with us in grace. That's not the case at all. God is always grace, and he's always truth. He's always both and. You cannot separate God from his attributes, and you cannot segregate God's attributes from one another. It is not, is it not his grace that gave his truth, his law? Did he create us? Did he? Does he know best how our bodies and our minds and our spirits function? Yes. Then isn't it correct that his truth or his law on how we should live and act is an act of his grace and mercy and love to keep us from harm and evil and the natural consequences of our sin? Isn't that grace when he gave us truth? 
And isn't God's grace one of the great truths of his character? That when we do fail his law, his truth, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when the gospel writer John here makes the assertion in verse 14 and 16 and 17 that Jesus is full of grace and truth, is it that grace and truth came through Christ? So what are we to understand? First of all, Jesus is the personification of God's grace and truth. Perhaps some mistakenly think that God is all truth. God the Father is all righteousness, holiness, wrath against sin, while Jesus is all grace and love and mercy and kindness. But that's not the picture of Scripture. Jesus didn't come, the Bible says. He said, by the way, in the Sermon on the Mount, I did not come to abolish the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. You see, all grace and no truth is license. And the, the, there's another word, the Bible uses licentiousness, which means unrestrained by law or general morality. In other words, if you think God's going to forgive you for everything you do and you just do it anyway because it's all grace, then that leads to licentious behavior. License. Oh, I have a license to sin. I've been saved. That ain't how it works. But you'll be surprised how many Christians think that's how it works. All grace, no truth is licentiousness. All truth and no grace is legalism. All grace, no truth, licentiousness. All truth, no grace is legalism. And God is neither gives us a license nor a legal code we have to reach him through. He gave us Jesus. The fullness of God's grace, the personification of God's grace and God's truth. Some mistakenly say the Old Testament is God's judgment. The New Testament is God's grace. Because we read in the Old Testament of God wiping out civilization, all of civilization with a flood, because he was upset at the sin on the earth. So he wiped out all civilization. He spared Noah and his family. He crippled Egypt through the death of the firstborn. He opened up the earth and he swallowed his enemies in other places in the scripture, in the Old Testament. So we read the Old Testament, we think God is all judgment. But we come to the New Testament, it's all grace. That's not true either. Because we read in the Old Testament in Exodus twenty-two twenty-seven, God says, I am gracious. When he passed before Moses, after Moses said, Lord, I want to see your glory, God hid him in the cleft of a rock and covered him with his hand and passed by in front of him. And as he passed by, God was speaking. And here's what God said. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abiding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin. God is declaring his grace and his mercy even right after he had given the law. We read in Nehemiah, as Nehemiah was praying and confessing the sins of his people, he said, You are God, ready to pardon, generous, or gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them, speaking of Israel. And he said in verse 31 about God, he said, Nevertheless, 
In your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. We read in Psalms, You, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious and long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. The Lord is gracious in Psalm 145 and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and His tender mercies over all His works. This is the Old Testament. We tend to think God is all judgment in the Old Testament and all grace in the New Testament. You've got it wrong. He's the fullness of grace and truth in the Old Testament, and he's the fullness of grace and truth in the New Testament. It, it's not that God wasn't gracious in the Old Testament, but I think the reason we say that or people think that is because of the coming of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Jesus made God's grace come to life for us. He personified God's grace he made it real. He made it visible. As he says in verse, John says in verse 14, the word became flesh. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 4, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you through Jesus Christ. It's as if Jesus became the channel, the personification of God's grace. Paul wrote in Romans 1, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, he said, through him we have received grace. He said again in that same chapter later on, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So, Jesus Christ personified God's grace, but did he not also personify God's truth? For he said, Jesus in John 1.14 is full of grace and full of truth. Did Jesus not say in John 14.6, he said, I am the way and what? The truth and the life. If you want to know the way to heaven, if, if you want to know uh, the truth about how to get to heaven, and if you want true eternal life, Jesus is the way. He's it. He told Pilate, as Pilate was questioning him, as he was already had been through that midnight trial, that false trial before the Pharisees and Sadducees, and now he's brought before Pilate. And, and Pilate, Jesus said in, in Matthew, I'm sorry, in John chapter 18, Pilate was questioning him and said, Are you a king? Jesus said, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? The truth was standing right in front of him. Jesus is the personification of God's truth. In John 8, 40, Jesus said, I am a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. In Ephesians 4, 21, Paul said the truth is in Jesus Christ. So you see, what is John saying here in our text in John 1? John is saying that Jesus Christ is the full embodiment of God's grace and God's truth. Now, the second thing that helps amplify that first point a little bit better is that Jesus is the perfection of God's grace and truth. He says in verse 16, 
in John 1, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace is the way the New King James Version reads. Another version says, and of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. In other words, the word fullness means abundantly supplied. Words also attributed to this Greek word fullness is stuffed, gorged. You ever been there? Thanksgiving Day, just a few weeks ago, you remember that? You were full. Oh, I'm full. What do you mean? It means you're stuffed. You're gorged. Jesus came and gorged the world with God's grace and God's truth. It also means completion, perfection. So let's look at it in two ways. First of all, complete. Jesus is the perfection of God's grace and truth. It means that he's the superabundance of God's grace. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 5. and He said in verse 20 and 21, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words... God gave us the law to reveal our sin. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this word, he said, where sin abounded. That word, of course, means to do or to make or to be more or to increase. He said, where sin increased, he said, grace abounded much more. That's two different words. It's not even the same Greek word. It's two different words here in the original language. One just means to increase. Where sin abounded, where sin increased, he said grace did much more abound. That is, to superabound, to abound much more and in an exceeding way. And so what he's saying is that the law reveals our sin, and, and therefore it increased as the world kept going and got worse and worse and worse. He said God's grace got greater and greater and greater. Much more abounded. Jesus is the fullness of God's grace. And it says, Paul said about his life, think about the Apostle Paul. He said in 1 Timothy 1, I was formerly a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now I want us to pause right here for just a second. I want to highlight something about Paul's life. Because I want to make sure that everybody understands that grace does not mean license. I already hit that already once. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Some would say, well, okay, the more I sin, the more grace I get. That's exactly what Paul addressed in Romans chapter 6, which we didn't keep reading. But he asked the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? You remember what his answer was? God forbid! No, that's ridiculous, that's stupid, it's foolish. Now you look at the life of the example of the Apostle Paul. 
Paul said, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy, and the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant. So what Paul did was he just kept on living his old life but kept receiving God's grace, right? No! He wouldn't be in the Bible if he did that. But there are many Christians, or so-called Christians, that think that you can live like that. You can't live like that. In fact, if you think you can live like that, you probably aren't even saved. Because God's grace transforms a person's life from the inside out. You become a new creature. Old things have passed away. They died, and Paul says in Romans 6, were buried. There was a funeral. And you can't go back to that because it's dead. doesn't mean you can't sin, but you can't go back to that former life. Paul says, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Now look, you can't add to that. You can't add to exceedingly abundant. When you, let me ask you, it's Thanksgiving Day. Think back, three weeks ago, something like that. Think back to when you finally slid back from the table and you said, I can't eat another bite. I'm gorged, I'm full. That means I can't hold any more else. Listen, Jesus was the fullness of God's grace. You can't add to that. You can't add to that. He was the completion of it. Galatians 1, that's why Paul was considered it heresy to add anything to the gospel. He said in Galatians 1, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You know, if someone comes along and tells you that you have to do this in order to be saved, that's a different gospel. Because it's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's God's grace. Paul wrote Galatians 2, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. We don't add to this grace. You can't add to it anything. We come as broken, ruined sinners, empty. And then he pours out his grace. But you've got to come to him. You've got to come with your sin, your brokenness. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the richness of his grace. There's plenty of grace. There's plenty of grace for anybody here today. You have not outsinned God's grace. You cannot outsend God's grace. There are some people who won't come to Christ because they think they're too far gone. Listen, God's grace is superabundant, and it was perfected in the person of Jesus Christ. I want you to look at it another way. Jesus is not only the completion of God's grace, but he's the composite or the synthesis. He's the He's the perfect synthesis of grace and truth. He is where grace and truth meet most perfectly. Many places throughout Scripture, the two words grace and truth or mercy and truth are found together. Like, for example, these in Psalm 25, all his paths are mercy and truth. Think about that. All of God's paths, everywhere he walks, are mercy and truth. He never variates from mercy and truth, ever, 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 ever. That's who he is. Psalm 80. 6:15. He is abundant. There's that word again in mercy and truth. Psalm 89:14. Mercy and truth go before your face. By the way, Psalm 23:6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
As one pastor once put it, he said, God's grace and God's mercy are as heavenly hound dogs always pursuing you. You never can outrun them. Proverbs 16, 6, Solomon wrote, By mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. But you see, it's hard for us to understand how a sinless, holy God, whose standards are perfection, can be merciful and gracious to horrible sinners like us. Until John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want to share with you some examples of this grace and truth, how it's composite and synthesized in Christ. One day, a woman was drugged before Jesus who had been caught in the act of adultery. And you know my question. If she was caught in the very act, what's the obvious question? Where's the dude? Why didn't they drag him? So they drag her, and they said, The law, the truth says, she must be stoned. Was that God's truth? what the law said. So what was Jesus going to do? They were trying to trick him, trying to get him to stumble. I mean, if you're all truth and no grace, yeah. And they all, those who were all truth and no grace, they already had the rocks in their hand. That's where some of you are. You're holding the rock in your hand. You're living by legalism. You're ready to stone anybody for anything that they do wrong. You're a whitewashed tomb. You're looking at everybody else's sin down your nose, but you're not seeing your own. Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dirt, and I don't know what he was writing. We're not told what he was writing, but he stood up and he said, You who are without sin, cast the first stone. Of course, they said, the scripture says they all dropped their stones and walked away. And Jesus looked at the woman, and in grace, he said, Woman, where are your accusers? And she said, I have none, Lord. And in grace, he said, Neither do I condemn you. But in truth, he said, What? Go and sin. He called what she did sin, and he called her to repentance. That's the full composite, the synthesis of God's grace and God's truth. It's how you and I, as Jesus' representatives on this earth, are to deal with sinners today. Because that's how he dealt with each and every one of you and me. Grace and truth. Another time, Jesus made a special trip out of his way, a place where most Jews didn't go. He went to Samaria, and he sat by a well, and here comes a woman. We know her as the woman at the well. And she's drawing water, and Jesus says, Can I have, uh, I, if you'll ask of me, I'll give you living water. See, that was a statement of grace. I will give you everything you need if you'll just ask me. And in truth, Jesus said, go call your husband. 
Man, Jesus was calling her out. Because Jesus knew the truth about her life. And the truth came out. She said, I have no husband. And she was willing to stop there. He said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And you're living with a man who's not your husband right now. Woo! Jesus called her out. In truth. But in grace, he said, if you'll ask me what you're really looking for in these men, I'll give you. Jesus is the composite of grace and truth. To the thief on the cross, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But to the Pharisees, he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're going to receive a greater condemnation. On the cross, we sing a song. He came from heaven to earth. He, went from, he came from the throne to the manger. He went from the manger to the cross. From the cross to the grave. Was resurrected the third day. And then ascended to heaven. The manger, the cross, is where God's grace and God's truth meet perfectly. Jesus is the personification of God's truth. He's the embodiment of it. But he's the perfection of how it meets together. You see, God says in Romans 5.8, Paul wrote, God demonstrated his love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We see God's love. While we were still sinners, he loved us so much. While we are still sinners, he died for us. Why would a holy God die for us? Because he loves us. But we also see in, in 1 John 4.10 that Jesus Christ, the Bible says, became the propitiation for our sins. And that's a big word, and that just means wrath satisfied. So we see at the cross the perfect union of God's love, His grace, and His mercy, and His wrath. You see, Jesus was the expression on the cross and in the manger in all of His life. He was the expression of God's grace, His love, His mercy to sinners like you and me. And we see on the cross where God poured out His wrath, His punishment on sin, on sinners, all on His Son. He satisfied the wrath of God when he died on the cross. So we see the cross is both the, the composite of God's grace towards sinner and the sinner and God's acting in truth towards sin. You see, because if God didn't punish sin, he would be violating his standard of truth. He gave his only son in love for the sinner, but he punished him and caused him to suffer a cruel death in truth. So it's in grace and truth we find at the cross. And it all started, as Rebecca sang a moment ago, at the manger. Jesus spoke of grace and truth. He acted in grace and truth because he is the perfection and the personification of God's great grace and truth. But I want to close with this very briefly. What difference does that make? Because he's the power of God's grace and truth. You see, Jesus 
came to save sinners. He's the power of salvation. The Bible says in Acts 15, 11, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tell us, for by grace are you saved through faith. That is God's grace given in His Son, and that is your faith reaching out to Him and receiving His Son. Remember our text in John chapter 1, verse 11, He came to His own. His own did not receive Him, but to, many, to as many as who did receive Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. You have to reach out and accept that free gift of God's grace for yourself. By your faith, you have to believe that Jesus is the full expression of God's grace and truth, that he suffered and bled and died for your sin. You have to receive him personally for you. You don't become a Christian by osmosis. You don't become a Christian because you were born into a Christian nation, born into a Christian family, because you go to church, because you read the Bible, because you pray. That's not how you become a Christian. That's not how you get saved. If that's how you got saved, then Jesus wasted his life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He's the Savior. It's his grace and His grace alone. There's some of you who need to be saved today. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You need to reach out and receive Him. You can right here, right now. I'll help you do that in just a moment. But there's many who are saved that need the power of God's grace for sanctification. What is sanctification? It means that you allow God's grace and truth, His truth to transform your life. You see, when Jesus came to save, he came to save us from our sin. And that's, an own, that's a once and for all thing, but it's also an ongoing thing. Sanctifi sanctifying us, that is making us more like himself. You ever notice the more you hang around somebody, the more like them you become? You men and women who've been married 40, 50, 60 years, y'all probably think each other's thoughts, which is probably pretty spooky. Y'all can complete each other's sentences. Y'all know what each other's likes are and dislikes. Because you have, but you, you, you have, over those many years, you've meshed into one, which is what God's plan was. And see, that's what his plan is for every believer, is to become one with Christ, so that we become living expressions of his grace and his truth. We're not there yet. We're all still in process, are we not? But we've got to allow him to do that. As Ephesians 5.26 says, he's speaking about husbands and wives, but Paul really reveals the mystery at the end of that chapter. He says, I'm really speaking of Christ and the church. That's you and me. And he says this, that Jesus might sanctify and cleanse us with the washing of the water by the word. So it's the grace of Jesus that helps us to become more like him. I can't live the Christian life in my own strength, and you can't either. And we've all tried, and we've all experienced failure. And we've all probably come to the conclusion, it's impossible, I can't do it. And that's exactly the conclusion you're supposed to come to, so you will learn to rely upon the grace of Jesus Christ. You learn to allow him to live his life through you. You, 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 allow, you learn that it's a, the secret is abiding in him and letting his words abide in you. And the more that happens, the more transformation, the, the, the desire and the power to live like Christ is seen in your life. Jesus is the power of God's grace and truth. Romans 8.1 says, it's because of His grace and truth that there's no condemnation. He said in Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Listen, if you're saved, you're not under condemnation anymore. You're under grace. 
The Bible says that there's no bondage to sin and death. He said, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You're not under sin and death's law anymore. You don't have to keep living that way. You have a new life. As I said a moment ago in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He said in Ephesians 2.10, he said, For by grace are you saved through faith, yes. It's a gift of God, yes. Not of works, yes. But he says, but we are his workmanship. That is, he's working in us for good works. And the great news is, he's the power of Jesus, is the power of God's grace and truth, so that there'll never be another moment that you're ever separated from him, ever. As the Bible says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus Christ. He came to reveal God's grace and God's truth. And that's what all of us this morning must respond to. Every day, too, we must respond to his grace and his truth. Don't live in one category, one or the other. Don't be a legalist and don't be licentious. Allow Jesus Christ to live in you and be the expression to others to your family, to your friends, to your co-workers. But yes, God is a God of truth. He's also a God of grace. Yes, he's a God of grace, but he's also a God of truth. We find that expressed most in Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?